And good morning, dear church, and all those joining us online today. And I am privileged to open God's Word uh, with you and to explore what God has to say for us today. Uh, I just want to uh, begin by reaffirming to you how much, how much we miss you, how much I miss you. Uh, these days are difficult days for so many of us, and um, it's going to be so great when we can gather together again. But I want you to know I love you, I miss you, praying for you. Uh, the, the gift I can give today is to uh, deliver God's word, and I hope that God blesses you in it. You know, it's been a, a difficult season. This was highlighted to me last night. I was putting my four-year-old daughter, Madeline, uh, to bed, and I asked her, what, what can Daddy pray for, for you about? And she said, pray the coronavirus goes away. And that was an easy prayer to pray because we all... We all want that, and uh, so may the Lord bless you, and may the Lord bless his word as we open it here together. And after five weeks of talking about uh, the COVID-19 and, and dealing with fear and dealing with worry and <clears throat> Easter and Palm Sunday and uh, <clears throat> dealing with the quarantine, uh, we are today getting back into the series that we have been in for about two years in the book of Romans. Remember Romans? Seems like a long time ago now. And because of that, I just want to very quickly do a quick flyby on Romans and to get us up to speed for uh, what we're going to look at here in chapter 12. So what is Romans about? Romans is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome, and it essentially describes how a sinner can be made right before God. We are... We are uh, Sinners by nature and by choice, we are uh, apart from God, we are under God's wrath, that's chapter 1. But we find in Romans that God has made a way for sinners to be made righteous, to have right standing before God. And this comes through the death of Jesus in our place, that he died, the righteous one, Jesus died for our sins, for our guilt. Uh, when he died on the cross, it was for our sins. When he was resurrected, it was conquering death. And through the, the miracle of justification, God will declare any sinner who confesses Jesus as Savior, declare us righteous forever in his sight. And this is the gospel. This is what Romans is all about. We get to chapter 8 and we see that, uh, that this is an act of his sovereign love, that he has united us with Jesus forever. Chapter 9, that this is his sovereign grace to us. And then we get to chapter 12, and Paul, you know, the most famous therefore in the whole Bible, the pivot from the doctrine of chapters 1 through 11 to the application of the doctrines in chapters 12 through 16. Therefore, I, uh, in view of God's mercy, I, I beseech you. And everything that flows from that now in terms of what this means on the horizontal, what this means in everyday life, and we find then that the gospel not only redefines our destiny, but it redefines our identity. It redefines our today. It changes who we are, and it changes how we live in dramatic ways. Now, our text today is chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, and it's about spiritual gifts. But I'm going to begin reading in verse 3 to give the, the, the context here. Chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. There's the key. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And may God bless his word to us here today. So the Apostle Paul is developing this illustration of of the church of Jesus Christ and specifically the interconnectedness that we have as members of the body of Christ. And which, of course, is a great illustration because all of us have a body. All of us understand uh, how all of our body parts need to be working in (coughs) harmony with one another in order for uh, the body to be healthy. And whenever you have a body part that is is not in harmony, but actually attacking the body. We call this a disease. So uh, MS or rheumatoid arthritis, two examples of the body actually attacking itself. These are things, these are problems, right? What we need, therefore, is for the body to work in harmony, to work for the good of the body, every part having its part, having its role. And this text tells us that every Christian... If you're a Christian here today, you, you have a vitally important role and part to play in the body of Christ. And the exciting news is, is that the Holy Spirit has endowed every single Christian with a giftedness, with an enablement to serve for the good of the body. And we see this in verse 6. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Now, I'd like to assume for just a moment that none of us have heard of a spiritual gift. We have no idea what this is talking about, and perhaps that's probably true for some people listening right now. What is a spiritual gift? Let me give you a definition of a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Thank you, Wayne Grudem. Okay, it is any, hear that again, any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Now, do not confuse spiritual gifts with natural gifts. Okay, natural gifts. These gifts that we're we're born with, we don't have to be a Christian in order to be good at something. Uh, All of us have some of these things, a natural gift. So for example, Bill Gates can make a fortune and he can give it away to a foundation. Or uh, Peter Drucker can uh, lead and administrate and write books about that. He doesn't need the Holy Spirit to do that. Newt Rockney can inspire a football team. Okay, these are natural gifts that God gives to individuals. The problem with them is that natural gifts cannot by themselves produce the goal. And what is the goal? Spiritual fruit. Okay, spiritual, spiritual byproduct. Why is that? Romans 8.8, 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, God can choose to use whatever he wants whenever he wants, but in the normal flow of how God works in the church is that God uses his people by enabling us with spiritual gifts to serve in the body of Christ. 
in a way that our natural gift never could do. And what's helpful about this is, is as we wonder, what does God want me to do? Like, how, how can I serve Jesus? God's gifts are God's call. If you want to know what God wants you to do, figure out what he's gifted you to do. And what he's gifted you to do is what he wants you to do. These two always go together. Now sometimes I think this does flow with our natural personality. There are some people who, for example, have a natural sort of winsome salesmanship and God can use some of those gifts and empower them in a way that they are effective in evangelism or counseling or some other sort of interpersonal way. But oftentimes God flows us in the opposite direction of where our personality or our maybe natural desires would go. And I would just say, this is my story. I mean, I, every weekend I stand up in front, or at least I used to in front of people, now I stand in front of cameras, and I am coming online to you. But uh, I will tell you that when I, was, when I was in high school, I remember having opportunities to stand in front of people and to, and to speak. And I literally was so afraid as I did that, my knees were shaking in my, in my pants. You know, they kind of use that as a, I was so afraid my knees were shaking. Mine were literally shaking. And I did not like it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't enjoy it. And if you would have come up to me and said, hey, you know what? Every weekend of your whole life you're going to do this. I would have fainted on the spot. And I would say, I never want to do that. And yet here I am. And why am I here? Because I believe God has gifted me and therefore called me to do this. This is not what I would naturally choose, but this is God's will and purpose for me. I'm here by divine call and enablement and only by his grace. But this is how God works. He, he calls very unlikely people into the kingdom of God. He gives the, us gifts that we would not expect, and he uses them to advance his glory. Now, why do you suppose he would choose to do it this way? Unlikely people using undesired gifts to advance his kingdom. Well, who gets the glory for that? Who gets the glory when God chooses not to use our natural gifts, but gives us a supernatural spiritual gift? God, of course, is the one who gets the glory. Now, I, I actually just misspoke in my previous sentence because one of the mistakes that people make when it comes to spiritual gifts is they view it like it's a superpower that God has given us. And I, I want you to realize that, you know, you don't have spiritual spidey senses. These aren't infinity stones. We are not the Incredibles, you know, where each of us has some superpower and collectively we are the Incredibles. No. Spiritual gifts are not supernatural in and of themselves. They are spirit-given, but they're not supernatural in and of themselves. They are supernatural in their effect. Well, how? Because God uses them. He uses us, and he uses the gifts, and the effect is supernatural. We are not supernatural. We are not superheroes. We do not have superpowers. This is the mistake that the Corinthians made in 1 Corinthians 12. You want to read uh, an example of a church that got spiritual gifts wrong, read through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, because the Corinthians viewed spiritual gifts as evidences of godliness, and, and they were all the time trying to rank themselves based on the gift that they had, and they coveted the public gifts, they coveted the, the, the power gifts, they, they wanted to be somebody important in the church. And they viewed spiritual gifts as a status symbol 
and a spiritual symbol in the church. And Paul rebukes them. You read through 1 Corinthians, you realize they totally got it wrong. This is not about us. This is not about our carnal self-advancement. And we need to realize as well that the gifts of the Spirit uh, are not evidences of spiritual maturity. It is the fruits of the Spirit that are evidence that we have advanced in our walk with God. And frankly, you know, God's sovereign. God can choose whatever he wants and whoever he wants to fulfill whatever purpose he wants. He did speak through a donkey once, uh, as you recall, in the Old Testament. But whenever he is using humans, he is using flawed and broken vessels and choosing to use us, which is an incredible privilege, to bless people and to advance the gospel mission. But gifts are not evidences of godliness, which is why we should not be too enamored by them or uh, those who have them. They are gifts after all. How do we know who's, who, who's godly in a local church or in, in you know, American Christianity? If you were to think of people like who are the, who are the most godly people, we, we would be tempted to, to pick the best preachers or the best authors or you know, somebody who has an amazing testimony and say, wow, that person, they are so godly. And yet it is the fruits of the Spirit who indicate those that are led by the Spirit. What are these fruits? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That is what spiritual gifts look like or spiritual maturity looks like. And this explains how you can look down through, through church history and there have been many examples of <clears throat> individuals, preachers, evangelists that God, uh, you know, that God chose to use and who had an incredible following and God used in amazing ways only to find out that through much of their ministry they were immoral in, 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 in terrible ways. And you think, how can God, how can God do that? Well, we need to recognize that Christian maturity is not spiritual gifts, but the fruits of the Spirit. So don't mistake gifts for godliness. God can use us in spite of ourselves, and perhaps today, me right now with you is an example of it. I, I have preached many a sermon down through the years in which I had a bad attitude and I was uh, you know, self-concerned, and yet God chose to use it anyway. And maybe today's message will be another one of those. Spiritual gifts. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? The purpose is to serve and to bless others, to serve and to bless the church. Here's 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Ephesians 4, 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts, again, the Corinthians got this all wrong. They thought the gifts were somehow about them. They were self-focused with the gifts. No, they're the opposite of that. They are for other people. They are not about us. In fact, 1 Corinthians reminds us, chapter 13, that you can have incredible gifts, but if you don't have love, that gifting means nothing. I can speak with the tongue of men and of angels, and I can say to this mountain, be cast in the sea, but if I don't have love, it gains nothing. And the, the urging here is that our gifts, that these precious gifts and enablements that God has given to us 
These are to be oriented towards the, the, the good and the joy of others, which is what love is, to serve and to, and, and to bless other people. And so don't look at your spiritual gift as something that is to, is, this is about me. No, it is to be about others. How can I maximize my gift? How can I steward my gift to advance the kingdom of God, to bless other people and to serve other people? And love is the quintessential quality of Christian service. All right, now here is the incredible truth. And you might be wondering about this as I talk about it. Here's the incredible truth. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. And I would say most Christians have several spiritual gifts. You might be thinking right now, well, I, I must have been at the end of the line. And, and God ran out of gifts by the time he got to me because I don't really think that I that I have a gift. And here's what I want you to realize. Not only do you have a gift, you likely have several gifts. And when you think about this, this is incredibly exciting that God in heaven is, is blessing the church by enabling the people of the church with specific gifts and abilities that he is promising he will supernaturally use to bless the church. That we are a part of this. So Christian, hear this. You have at least one spirit-granted, God-empowered gifting. And God's gifts are God's call. You might wonder, God, what do you want me to do? Look at the gifting. Look at the wiring. Look at how he has put you together. And that is an indication of not only where God wants you to serve, but where God will bless others and you in serving. I'd like you to begin thinking right now, what what, what is my spiritual gift? Or what gifts has God given to me? Do you know? This means that every single person in the church is vitally important. And the diversity of gifts means that there is no one person that is too important. He doesn't give anybody all the gifts. He spreads the gifts throughout the church. Now you might say, well, okay, Pastor Steve, well then what should I do? And now we get back to verse 6, chapter 12. Notice what he says. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, here's the focus. Let us use them. Let us use them. You know, you, you would think that, that on this subject that there would be some guide in the Bible of how to discover your gift, a survey or some kind of a, you know, there is... I, I am unaware of anything in the Bible that tells us how to know what our gifts are. And Paul certainly doesn't do it here in chapter 12. The focus is not on discovering your gifts. The focus is on using your gifts. And I take this to mean that discovering your gifts is a lot like many things in life in which we figure it out as we go. We figure it out as we go. The one author summarized it this way. Here's the title of his book. Just do something. Just do something. And as we do something, as we serve, as we orient ourselves towards the needs of others and the needs within the church, out of that experience, there will be categories that our hearts are drawn to and that as we serve in those areas, there is obvious effect and blessing. We see God bearing fruit, or we hear people that say, you know, that was really good, or that was incredibly uh, a blessing to me. 
And as we serve, and as we do, and as we try, and as we see and observe God blessing others and us in the doing of it, we can derive from that that this is, this is a category of gifting that God has given to me. So my urging is to do something. Get the wagon moving and let God steer in whatever way that he would want you to do it. And as you do it and as God blesses, take that as the yellow brick road for God's call in your life. Just do something. Now this likely, this area, likely will be a blessing to you. But I would not say that our personal enjoyment of it is necessarily a sure indicator because over the years we've had, I've observed, many members who serve in areas that they're not good at. Bless their hearts for serving in it, but they're, they're not good at it. But they enjoy doing it. I guess we could be glad for that. Spiritual gifts are areas that will bless, will equip, and will sustain other people. So just give it a try. You know, when there's, and how often are we doing this? Often, right, in the church. We're, we're, we're saying, hey, here's an area of ministry need. Here's an area of ministry opportunity. And maybe you sit there and you think to yourself, wow, I, I hope somebody does that. Or that's, boy, that really is a great need. Why not just do something? Why not give it a try? And as senior pastor, I am giving permission to the entire congregation that uh, you, you have permission to fail spectacularly in trying some area of ministry, if it's a part of the process of you discovering where God wants you to serve. My sense of this is that it's a lot like a pickup game of basketball. And, and many of you know basketball, I play a lot of basketball in my life, and maybe some of you have never had done a pickup game of basketball, but basically this is the way that it works. At a park somewhere, you know, there happens to be eight or ten guys, and they say, hey, let's play. And they choose up sides and, uh, and, and, and they start to play. What you never see before a pickup game of basketball is a strategic meeting where they, you know, we huddle up and we say, okay, who's going to do the dribbling and who's going to do the shooting and who's going to do the passing and who's going to do the rebounding? No, they don't do that. They just start playing. And as the game begins, guess what? People that are good at rebounding, you tend to find them down under the basket. And the people that are, that are good at defending are trending towards the best player on the other team. And uh, the people that are, that, are, that are good at passing are putting themselves in places where they can pass. And the people that are, that are good at shooting, and, and it's generally everybody thinks they're good at shooting in a pickup game of basketball, uh, they're shooting. In other words, as the game is being played, the things that people trend towards being good at are the areas that they trend towards. And my observation over the many years in the church is that this is the way that it works. You join a church, you become a part of a local church, and you begin to do things. And, and as you do things, people trend towards the areas of gifting, the areas of blessing. As you serve, your gifts become evident. If you wait to do something until you have discovered your spiritual gift, you will end up never doing anything. Now, what I'm about to say, I'm going to say in love, okay? And I got nothing but love as I say this. But after over two decades of pastoring the church, there are some of you who I would compare to the appendix in the body. You know, after all these years of medical advancement, 
they still don't know what the purpose of the appendix is. Okay? And if I could draw the analogy, there are, there are some in our church, Mr. and Mrs. Appendix, who after all these years of being your pastor, I'm not exactly sure what your purpose is in the church. I've never seen you doing anything. I, I've never observed you serving in any sort of way. You are, in a sense, like the appendix. Now, we're not, a lot of people remove their appendix. We're not going to remove Mr. and Mrs. Appendix. But we are going to urge Mr. and Mrs. Appendix to consider whether maybe or not you should be a kidney or an elbow or an ear or some other thing. Do something in the church that is, that is, is profit-giving, that is advancing. It will be a blessing to you. There is far more blessing... Listen to a guy that's served in the church for all these years. There is far more blessing in the serving in the church than there is in the waiting and the observing in the church. Maybe I should say it that way. There is way more blessing in serving in the church than there is observing in the church. I should have written that down. And, and if that's you, hear the words of the Apostle Paul where he says about spiritual gifts, use them. Use them. Now you say, okay, well, spiritual gifts like what? So let's get back here now to verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Okay, Paul, like what gifts are you talking about? Here he, he lists seven. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now let's talk about specifically categories of spiritual gifts. And one of the challenges we have in the New Testament is that when it comes to lists, there are, there are five places where we have lists of spiritual gifts. None of the lists are the same. There's tons of overlap. And to give you a sense of this, here are the five places in the New Testament where we find these gifts listed. 1 Corinthians 12 is the longest, but you see uh, two places in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and then Ephesians and 1 Peter. If you look at that list, there are 30 different gifts that are listed here. If you, if you discount the overlaps, there's, there's around 20 different gifts listed. Since none of the lists are the same and uh, uh, don't list the same gifts, I take these to mean that these are not exhaustive lists, but rather examples of the gifts that God blesses the church with. It could be argued that they are broad categories that all the gifts fall into. Now, some of the gifts are functions. Some of them are offices. So, the office of apostle or the office of prophet are listed here. 1 Peter 4.11, I think, has a helpful summary. It says this, Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So if you want to think about the gifts in two broad categories, you have generally gifts that are speech gifts or word gifts, and then you have gifts that are serving gifts. And you can put these under those two broad categories. Now, we're not studying all five. We're just looking at Romans 12. So let's just get back to this list and walk through the seven 
gifts and then draw some conclusions. Again, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Here's the first gift he lists. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Prophecy is the first one listed. Prophecy is easily the most controversial and debated gift in the list. We don't have time to get into all of this, but let me just say here, lots of good people disagree on what prophecy is. Most would affirm that prophecy is a gift of direct revelation from God, spoken in words and applied to a very specific setting. We find in Ephesians 4 that, that Paul says that the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the church. We can uh, ask, well, is this, are these the Old Testament prophets? Are these New Testament prophets? Probably not Old Testament prophets. Probably New Testament prophets. You say, like who? Well, we have some examples in the Bible. Agabus, for example, in Acts 21 is called a prophet. And God clearly spoke through Agabus. Now, the debate is, of course, is this gift still active today? Well, clearly, the office of apostle is not active today, and I personally lean towards this uh, as uh, that prophecy is, is indeed direct revelation through a prophet for a time and a place, a gift that is very rarely seen, if ever, after the first century, after the early church, but I leave room for God to do what he wants and to speak through whom he wants, whenever he wants. Prophecy. The next three are fairly self-explanatory. Service in our serving, teaching in our teaching, exhorting in our exhortation. With each of these gifts, you'll notice that he lists the gift and then he gives an encouragement about the gift. And in each case, he's encouraging those gifts to be stewarded. In other words, Use them. In your teach, how do you steward a teaching gift? By teaching. How do you steward an exhortation gift? By exhorting. And with service. Service is, the, is a kind of clustering of those gifts of compassion, gifts of help, gifts of benevolence. You could say in some ways all the gifts are gifts of service, but the gift of service is that individual who is uniquely wired towards meeting the needs of others in practical ways. So many people in our church, I think, we're blessed to have many, many people with the gift of service. I want to give one example, though. Uh, we have a woman in our church by the name of Jan Carlson. Jan and Vern Carlson. Jan lost her husband, Vern, three weeks ago. Longtime faithful members of our church. And uh, some 20 plus years ago, Jan began to help me in my sermon preparation by coming in to the office during the week, and uh, I select books and commentaries that have sections that I want to read and study for my, for my sermons, and Jan will make uh, copies of those, all of those resources, and uh, collate them, and I, I, I get them on my desk. I brought, here, here's my stack from, uh, from, from this section of Scripture. And she has done that faithfully, week after week, month after month, year after year. I got my calculator out. I was trying to figure out, like, how many copies would Jan Carlson have been making over all of these years? And by my estimate, uh, Jan has made well over 60,000 individual page copies for me. And here's the thing. 
if you were to see Jan as she's in there doing it, she's doing it with a smile on her face. She loves it. If there's a week I don't need it, she's like, well, let me know when I can get back and doing it. She misses it when she can't do it. What do we say about Jan? The Spirit of God gifted and wired Jan Carlson not to do what I'm doing right now, but to derive great joy by helping to resource the pastor of the church in his sermon preparation. Most of you had no idea that she was doing that quietly behind the scenes. Has it been an important part of this church? Absolutely. And that's how the gift of helps or the gift of service works. We have now the gifts of teaching and exhortation. Teaching are those individuals that God enables with their words, maybe spoken, maybe written, but they are, they are teachers and they equip and they edify God's people. Exhortation, I take, to be more, less the content, more the application. There are some people that are just uniquely gifted in applying God's word to the practicalities of life. For example, last Sunday, we all were blessed by Pastor Dexter Harris, who I believe has a remarkable gift of exhortation as he applied those truths to our church. Teachers and exhorters are incredible blessings to the church. And good sermons, by the way, have some of both of that in them. Teaching, exhortation. Notice next, the one who contributes in generosity. The one who contributes. Did you know that giving is a spiritual gift? Now, before you say, well, I guess I don't have that gift. There are some things that we're all called to. So like service. You can't say, well, I, I guess I, I'm not called to serve the body because that's, that's not my gift. You know, we're all called to serve in whatever way that we can the body of Christ. And similarly, we are all called uh, to support God's word at work and to give with generosity. Which, by the way, side note, I want to say thank you to the church body for the amazing giving that you have continued to supply to the church, even through this uh, COVID-19 crisis that we're in. Uh, week after week, we have been just amazed at how God has continued to meet our needs, and that has been the church family continuing to give with generosity. And I want you to hear it from me and from our leaders. We say thank you. Thank you so much for doing so. But there are some people who are uniquely gifted to give. Now this gift is, is best when it's matched with a gift to make money in the first place. And these are people that are able to resource the kingdom of God in, in truly amazing ways. And we praise God for those of you in our church who, who have, have those gifts. But the gift of giving is, is found all over the economic ladder as we see in Jesus' encouragement about the widow's might and her amazing generosity to God. The one who contributes, how do we use that gift? With generosity. The one who leads now, here's the last two, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So the gift of leadership, maybe you might say the gift of administration. This is the, the people that are able to organize people and ministry and to move the church along. What a blessing the gift of leadership is. Where would we be without good leaderships? And his exhortation here is leaders lead with zeal, okay? The Greek word there, it means eagerness and diligence. 
If God has called you and put you in a place of spiritual leadership, do not do it begrudgingly. Do not do it lazily. Do it with energy and effort. Here's a totally different category, the gift of acts of mercy. Okay, this is, this is meeting people in that benevolent sort of way when they are in, 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 a, in a difficult place to, to reach out to them with an act of mercy. He says, those who have this gift are to exercise it with cheerfulness. We get our, the Greek word, we get our word in the English, hilarity from it. What does that mean? It means when, when, when God calls us to minister to people who are suffering, they're discouraged, they're, they're, uh, you know, they're financially in a hard way, or they've got some illness or whatever, what does it communicate when, when we minister to people in those uh, conditions and we've got a sour attitude about it? Or they sense from us that we're just doing it because we, we have to do it. That doesn't communicate what God wants communicated to people who are in need. But how about when we do it with a smile? How about when the other person senses that we're doing this actually with, with cheerfulness? What does that communicate? It communicates honor. It communicates value. It communicates, indeed, the way that God feels about every single human being. So if you have the, act, the, the gift of, of granting mercy, do it with cheerfulness. And we should say that this is a quality, by the way, that we should have in all of our service. I think of Psalm, uh, Psalm 100, which exhorts us to serve the Lord with gladness. There ought to be on the face of God's people, as we have the privilege of serving the Lord, a sense of joy and gladness, a smile on our face. Why? Because we're serving the King. We're serving our Savior who gave his life for us. Serve the Lord with zeal. Now I say that uh, am I serving the Lord with zeal every day in this quarantine? I can't say that I am. I want to, but it's challenging. And this is the, the reality of, of being human and serving the Lord is that we, we aspire to these things. And this is where Paul's exhortation reminds us of the way that we should serve. Here's the main point. And the main point is the first point. Use your gifts. Use your gifts. Don't sit on them. Steward them. Serve Jesus by serving his body. This is a tremendous privilege. Mr. and Mrs. Appendix, you are missing out. There are so many people in our church, I, I wish I could roll them up here and let them share testimonies about what a blessing it has been for them to serve God's people and to serve the community and to use their gifts. And why is this the case? As Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There is more blessing that comes in the giving of ourselves for others than the hoarding of ourselves or living for ourselves ever could be. So who are the happiest people in our church? Is it the appendix family or is it Mr. Bicep, Mrs. Ear, Miss Heart, and you know the answer to that question. Now I have one final word here because maybe you're still sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, I, I, I still not sure what my, what my place is. I don't, I'm not sure what my, my gifting is. Well, maybe this would help. If you think about this extraordinary time of, of uh, our, our quarantine, what is it about the life of the church that you miss the most? What is it that you're just chomping at the bit, you just can't wait to get back to? What you miss the most might be an indication of where God has gifted you. 
And similarly, if I could say, what is it that you are doing the most? Okay, what are you doing the most? And I would encourage you to think in spiritual categories. So eating Cheetos is not a spiritual gift. What is it that you are doing the most as you are in this uh, time of shelter at home? There are, there, are, uh, there are some of you that are probably, you're fired up about content and words. You're, you're writing blogs and you're posting things, of, uh, words of encouragement and and you're, you're, using, you're using content and knowledge in some way. This is a priority for you. You probably are gifted in that category. But there are some of you that, you know, you haven't written a blog and you haven't called somebody to encourage them, but, you know, you've organized meals down the block and, and, and uh, you know, you've been mowing the old lady's yard next to you for three weeks. And as you come back from doing it, there's a smile on your face. Guess what? You're probably gifted in the area of service. So what are you missing the most? What are you doing the most? In our time of crisis, I think these sort of gifts shine through. Now, everybody, I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine with me right now a community of followers of Jesus in which God has enabled and empowered every single one of them in some category to bless and to nourish the entire church. And that this service is done with a sense of hilarity and cheerfulness, with a smile on the face and a joy. Doesn't that sound like something you'd want to be a part of? Indeed, because that is a healthy local church. And that is the dream around here. It's all about him motivating and empowering us to serve one another and the community in ways that bring greater glory to God and greater joy to us, every gift is important. That means every person is important. That means that you, my friend, have a vital role to play that this body needs desperately and that God purposed by the Holy Spirit to use you in this way. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them.